Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Talking Pieces, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST site, mine website, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 27 in our series for 2022, and today's date is Friday, August the 5th. First, I'll be talking to James Brown. CEO of Smart Communications, a leading technology company that helps businesses engage in more meaningful customer conversations. Smart works with top Australian government agencies and highly regulated companies, and James can discuss the current customer experience landscape he's seeing in the country. And I'll be talking to economist Nicholas Green. But now, let's talk to James Brown. Now, James, tell me, what work is Smart Communications helping businesses engage in meaningful customer conversations? And what kind of work is it doing with the Australian government agencies and companies? We uh, essentially work with, uh, I guess, major regulated companies here in Australia and around the world and government agencies to really transform the customer experience and citizen experience. Fundamentally, what we do is create conversational communications. So we sit at that intersection with great customer experience. And I guess we believe that the communications that government agencies or, or regulated businesses have with their customers are, are conversations. Uh, and if they're really great conversations, that drives uh, much better engagement, much better loyalty, much better citizen satisfaction. So it, it's things like that that we're fundamentally involved in. Uh, so we'll work with everything from superannuation providers through to insurance companies, government agencies and, and, and banks. So it's a range of different sectors, but they're all heavily regulated, and I think that's one of the key things that links our experience together. So how do you actually do it? I mean, what, what's the technology that you use? So we're using we're a full multi-tenant SaaS platform, uh, and uh, what we do is, and we think about this as the conversation cloud, but essentially uh, that provides components which collect uh, and enrich sources of data within those organisations, so we can transform what were static forms-based PDF processes for data collection, transform those into adaptive interviews. So we do that by connecting to sources of systems of record and then augmenting the data by asking the right questions of the citizen or consumer. Uh, We've got a very powerful uh, customer communications platform, CCM platform, uh, which is a multi-tenant SaaS platform, which creates really highly personalized 
uh, conversational two-way communications at amazing scale. So, for example, we're working with an Australian insurer, uh, and we provide about 400 million communications for them every year. Within our platform, we can manage collaboration. So, if we need to negotiate a document, um, we can we can do that. That often happens with investment banking use cases. Finally, we have a coordinate capability so that's, that brings everything together and allows you, allows our customers to coordinate that, that customer experience and, uh, and trigger certain interactions when they're needed. So I would imagine it would uh, have a lot of AI. Would that be right? Yeah, we, we, do, we do use quite a bit of AI and we plug into the, by the AI providers. Quite a lot of what we do AI natively is, is things like sentiment analysis to make sure that when we are creating or our customers are creating communications, they're creating communications that are appropriate for context of, of that communication. So AI assists users to do that effectively. And uh, also we use things like uh, readability scoring to help make sure that those communications are not only appropriate, but they're easily understood by, by customers. A lot of our customers will, will use uh, AI around the analytics with all the data that we create things like the right next action that they, they may want to use for those customers. What's the customer exchange landscape like in Australia compared to overseas? Um, I, think, I think we're seeing similar trends globally. So this idea that what, we're, what our customers are trying to do is to, this has been accelerated through the COVID period, is, is really create very deep uh, and meaningful customer experiences. So this idea that we are changing, the world is changing what were particularly in regulated industries, often very standardized one-way communications into genuinely two-way interactions, I, I think is something we're seeing globally. I, I think one of the trends here that, that we're very aware of, and you are as well, obviously, is that many citizens and consumers don't compare their banking or government agency experience with another bank or another government agency. They, they compare it with Amazon or whatever the best digital experience they're getting with their you know, it, across the spectrum of engagement that they have. Uh, I'd say in Australia, we've seen over the last few years, very rapid adoption of cloud technology uh, in these sectors. We as a business have invested in IRAP certification so that we can make sure that we uh, allow government agencies to host uh, our technology in the cloud as well. So that move to cloud has been pretty rapid here. And I think, again, the, the, the whole move to really great customer experience and citizen experience is something we're, we're seeing happening very quickly in this market. Well, are there particular sectors that would be more engaged in customer exchange? I would imagine banks would have a quite a keen interest in it. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we work with the nine largest banks in Australia, three of the four top insurers, about 50 government agencies. So where we work really effectively is that intersection of really deep customer and citizen engagement and regulatory complexity. So, so we, we manage to create great customer experiences for complex, highly regulated environments. And, and one of the things I think we see in, in these industries, banks and insurance in particular, is that the, the legacy landscape in those businesses is often very complex. So we've, you know, we've replaced, I think it was a, an Australian bank, 26 legacy communication systems they're all legacy point solutions 
Uh, and th that sort of complexity introduces a lot of risk because you know if you're in a regulated environment, you really want one place where you go to control the language around key regulated documents. If you have 26 audit solutions, that is complex and, and a problem. So I think one of the trends we're seeing here in Australia is really trying to look at this as an enterprise-wide capability to get rid of that complexity and get rid of that compliance risk and really focus on an enterprise platform that can manage uh, a lot of those a, a lot of those challenges really simply uh, within one platform. Now, why did uh, smart communications target IntelliDocs and what will IntelliDocs do for smart communications and vice versa? Yeah, so we acquired that business in uh, mid-2019, uh, Canberra-based business, uh, really very innovative technology. Uh, and again, I referred earlier on to the conversation cloud, which is this collect, uh, communicate, collaborate, coordinate capability. IntelliDocs, we've now rebranded it Smart IQ, provides that collect capability. So what it, that, that platform allows us to do is to create these adaptive, intelligent interviews. So we're replacing static forms-based processes with these adaptive interviews. So fundamentally, what, what we're doing here is the philosophy is you as a business or a government agency should never ask a consumer or citizen a question that you should know the answer to. So um, if I interact with you, if you, maybe you're making a claim, I should be able to create an adaptive interview which fills in the blanks for me. But I already know that Leon has had an accident. I already know that you're a policyholder. I know you're cover because I've connected this interview to the data I hold. But what I might be asking you to do is to fill in the detail of the accident. Maybe send some photographs. Maybe I geolocate geo where you are as you submit this claim with your mobile phone. So what SmartIQ or IntelliDocs originally allows us to do is to have those rich experiential interviews that allow an organization to collect and enrich the data that they have and then create highly personalized communications. So in that example where you might be initiating a claim through the IntelliDocs SmartIQ platform, what we could then create is a first notice of loss communication, which, which pulls all of that information, plus information we know about you, to, uh, to create a personalised communication. So what's the next stage of customer conversations? So for us, I think it really is about uh, that continuing transformation of what were static one-way communications into genuinely two-way conversations. And I think the richer and more detailed they get, the better. Um, so we are very focused on building out this conversation cloud, which uh, allows organizations to really look at the conversation as an enterprise-wide challenge uh, and deal with it with an enterprise-wide solution. So, you know, if you look across all of the major industries and government bodies that we work with, complete transformation of that forms process to turn those into conversational interviews, uh, really rich omnichannel two-way conversational communications, and then journeys for the customer that are completely orchestrated. So we can lead a customer easily through, through a pathway from start to finish uh, and really deliver amazing customer experiences. We believe that a conversation is one of the best ways to deliver a great customer experience. So I mean, what will that mean for various industries that will, you know, they'll become much more engaged? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think that, again, if you look at all of these regulated industries, they, they need to be operating from a customer engagement, customer experience point of view at the same level as the very best um, digital brands that are out there. You know? So their competition is not 
the next bank or the next insurer. Their, co their competition is Amazon, Domino's, Deliveroo, whatever it is that provides a great customer experience. That is the, that's the benchmark now that um, we think our customers are shooting for. So, you know, whilst clearly they have a very different offering, consumers and citizens expect that standard of, you know, really intelligent digital customer engagement. Final question. I would imagine that would do a lot for the areas of trust, which would be particularly important for banks, financial services and government agencies. I think that's, I think trust is the key word. What we're, what we're trying to do, and if you think, if, we, if I think about the brands that I trust, the ones that know me um, and, and they demonstrate that they know me through the interactions that I have with them, uh, and you know they consistently get it right. So I think it really is very important that in these very regulated sectors, that you know we we don't damage trust by asking questions that we should know the answer to, or, or um, frustrating customers with you know call center waits that aren't necessary. Uh, I, I think that again in in a regulated industry, creating trust through really knowing the consumer and having very um, specific personalized conversations with that consumer or citizen is is fundamental so i think i think that that word is the right one yeah well james thank you very much for your time appreciate it very much thank you it's been a real pleasure and now let's talk to economist nicholas Green. well nicholas uh, you recently circulated a newsletter with an article in it called the sex scandal that sent income inequality soaring how so and how can a sex scandal send inequality soaring so the the uh, the article is about is a fundamentally about the it sounds a bit esoteric but the it's about the US Congress Ways and Means Committee and in 1975 the chairman of that committee was uh, managed to get himself involved in a sex scandal and departed the scene now the significance of this is that from about 1970-71 through to 1975 these committees of the parliament of the, these committees of the congress were held in secret so the final votes were held publicly, but these committee votes were, were the, and the committee negotiations and so on were held in secret. And this turns out to have been one of the fundamental ways in which the in which America's democracy established this tradition, a little different to our own, of the two parties making bipartisan deals to put through legislation. In 1969, the Senate, there was a big tax reform bill as part of Richard Nixon's administration, and the Senate passed 75 different amendments to make, well, essentially to establish loopholes for the wealthy. And the Ways and Means Committee blocked them, and they blocked them in secret. Once you open up these committee meetings, the lobbyists move in, and they run campaigns against any of the members of Congress who are trying to make good deals because they can always run a misinformation campaign about how they're really selling out their constituencies. And this is one of the ways in which, for instance, the NRA works. So if anybody breaks ranks with the NRA and says something as mild as there should be background checks, the NRA run campaigns against those individual Congress people and get them chucked out. So it's a, a very powerful, it turns out that transparency is transparency to everyone and it's transparency to the most powerful. Uh, and of course, the people at home, they like the transparency, but they don't pay enough attention 
for this to really make a difference to them. So to what extent is this a problem in Australia? So what it points to is that I, I think that, that, that there is something really worth pondering, which is that the greatest damage that English-speaking democracies anyway have done themselves have been to do things that the parliamentarians themselves knew were the wrong thing to do. And Australia led the world in this, which was in 2013, we abolished carbon pricing. Now, almost all the parliamentarians that voted for the abolition of carbon pricing knew that it was a dumb thing to do, but it made sense from a party political point of view. So if something was possible, which in turns out I've now learned was possible in the Italian parliament, which is that after you have a public vote, certain number of people can also call for a confirmatory private vote, then that I think it's very unlikely that Tony Abbott would have been able to get that through. So, so, so tr I don't think we need, well, that's transparency about how people vote. It's no, there's no lack of transparency about the proceedings. So it's an interesting, it's, it's just interesting to think that all these things are, you know, that there might be little, uh, little hacks we can make, little changes we can make that could have a big difference. So all of this obviously affected Australia's capacity to deal with climate change. Exactly. Uh, well, it basically led to... It, it led to a decade, nearly a decade of complete stagnation on that subject. And I must say, I thought that what would happen w was that once Tony Abbott had done what he said he would do, which was abolish carbon pricing, he would quietly reintroduce it by another name in, you know, in a disguised form uh, because it had to be done. And it's obviously, if you have to reduce carbon emissions, it's a major part of the apparatus that you will you, you should use to do that. Unfortunately, these guys believed their own propaganda and were also in league with the, the fossil fuel in interests. But it was a very unfortunate episode in our history and we went absolutely nowhere and completely screwed up our electricity grid. And uh, how much of this would have contributed to Brexit? So again, Brexit is something which the vast majority of parliamentarians in England, uh, in Britain, uh, excuse me, thought was a terrible idea. I think all the evidence since it's been done is that it was a terrible idea. And particularly in the United Kingdom, there is a, a stronger uh, tradition of a, what I would call a genuine conservatism in the spirit of the 18th century statesman Edmund Burke, where Parliament, uh, who said that a parliamentarian owes their judgment to their electorate every bit as much as they owe their law uh, as they owe their obedience as it were so Edmund Burke argued that the role of a parliamentarian was to come up with their own view and to try and explain that to the electorate but not to simply do what the electorate had said they wanted and so had there been a secret ballot of the House of Commons again uh, to, to accompany the public ballot I, I think it's very hard to see Brexit getting through.
Explain your suggestions for having a citizens' chamber. So I think the way that we could really make this work is we could have a citizens' chamber, and a citizens' chamber would be a chamber like the other two chambers of our parliament, the House of Representatives or the Senate, but instead of being elected by the people, it would be sampled from the people in the way that a jury is. So we would select 100, 200 people at random. And then if there was an appreciable majority of those people voting in a way that was different to either of the chambers, they could impose a secret ballot on them And in that case, we would know that if that measure passed, it was something which the parliamentarians thought both publicly and privately was a good idea. And so that could actually, you're saying potentially, that could have actually stopped the move to end the carbon price. I think so. I think that, I think most people, when they learned of how threadbare Tony Abbott's policy was, to press on without a carbon price, uh, they would have said, hang on, this doesn't make any sense. They would have noticed that, I mean, the amount that the budget is short every year now because we abolished carbon pricing is about $11 billion. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. They would have found that out. They would have said, hang on, well, we're... Do you, where, Tony Abbott, do you plan to get the $11 billion from us? Or how do you plan to cut the services that we get, uh, the schools and hospitals and so on that we get? So, so I think it's pretty clear that it was such an unserious policy. It was okay to get through a radio or a TV interview because, you know, you just get asked a few awkward questions and then you walk off. But I don't think it would have fooled average Australians if they were given a bit of time to talk about it, to talk to experts, to talk among themselves, they'd go, this doesn't make any sense, doesn't pass the the sniff test. Interesting how you would select them. At random. It's really important that it be at random because you're not trying to say these are the best Australians. You're trying to say that that everyday Australians, when when they meet together, can come up with decent decisions and if we don't think that why are we putting juries in murder trials we have a lot of faith in our own capacity to come up with sensible decisions if we're not in the circus the media circus that we put on and all the evidence is that we make very good decisions in that much calmer more patient atmosphere 
we explore other people's views, we learn about other people's views, we don't anathematize them, we don't say that they're obviously evil or stupid and we're clever and wise. We listen to each other, we search for compromise and we come up with a, a common sense solution very, very regularly. It would be fascinating to see how this uh, group of random people would be selected either by Parliament or by the Australian Electoral Commission. Uh, well, at random. So, but the, the Parliament, if Parliament wants to, nobody, I mean, this is one of the things that the Athenians who used this method a great deal said that the gods chose the people. They just, uh, just comes out of a, it's, it's like Tats Lotto night. And that's how we choose juries. And we're very comfortable with that. And any other method will, people will bring their own biases and they'll, uh, you know, uh, I don't have any animus towards the people who vote for Pauline Hanson. I don't think she's certainly not my favourite politician, but those are people with a relatively, with with fair bit less education than your average people. And that's, and and I want them to be, to feel as included as anyone else. And I think a lot more, a lot of those people, uh, you know, they kind of want a, a, an even break and they should be listened to and talked with and they'll, you know, and compromised with. That's, that's, that's what people do. That's what they're looking for. Uh, and our system, our sort of bread and circus system of politics denies them of that and people hate it. And they really voted against it at the last election, I think. Certainly did. And uh, Nicholas Green, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Leon. So what's happening in the news? Well, the Reserve Bank of Australia hiked rates 50 basis points to 1.85%, marking the fourth consecutive rate hike and returning the cash rate to its highest level since April 2016. The market is pricing in a cash rate of 3% by year end, rising to 3.3% by March next year. The Reserve Bank of Australia also forecasts higher inflation and weaker economic growth this financial year and the next and warned that the current 48 low 3.5% unemployment rate would rise as a result. And the Catholic Archdiocese of Sydney has taken at least $3 million in legal work away from Cause Chambers Westgarth in a swift response to the firm saying it would no longer handle the church's child abuse cases. Global firm Dentons will now be the Archdiocese's principal legal provider, meaning it will do all its lucrative commercial work as well as advising the Archdiocese on abuse claims. Partners at Cause Chambers Westgarth are dismayed that they were not consulted before the law firm told the Catholic Church it would no longer handle claims of child abuse after being its main legal advisor on the issue for 25 years. For almost 60 years, the Catholic Church delivered millions of dollars in fees to cause Chambers Westgarth. The top-tier law firm provided legal advice to embattled archdioceses across Australia as they became engulfed in clerical abuse scandals and accusations of cover-ups. It was cause that helped establish a defence that meant the Catholic Church did not exist as a legal entity because its assets were held inside a trust structure, which insulated against further claims. Last week, cause abruptly severed ties with the Church at a time when the legal industry is jostling to retain younger staff and attract clients expecting greater corporate responsibility. The firm did not explain the rationale behind its decision other than to say it would be transitioning away from undertaking personal injury work. It is understood the decision to end a long association with the church was prompted by the need to protect the firm's reputation. Partners cannot reconcile the decision with the fact that the firm retains British American Tobacco as a long-standing client. And Australian drinkers woke up to more than a hangover on Monday as accelerating inflation and a quirk in the tax system set the price of beer surging. In a semi-annual CPI indexation review, the Australian tax office lifted the excise on a frothy by 4%, sending it to $15 a pint. 
It was the largest increase in over 30 years, according to the Brewers Association of Australia. Australia adjusts the excise on beer under a formula linked to inflation, which in the most recent reading climbed to its fastest annual pace in 21 years. The higher price is likely to add to growing cost of living pressures already hurting consumers in the historically beer-loving nation, where inflation is expected to peak at almost 8% by December. The result may encourage consumers to drink more wine, which operates under a different system of taxation. And a structural shift to working from home due to the COVID-19 pandemic will slash the number of people working in offices in Australian city centres by 15%, hitting revenues of companies that depend on commuters, including Transurban, investment bank UBS says forecast. While many people have returned to working in offices as the pandemic has eased, the trend for many white-collar workers to continue working from home a couple of days a week has led the Global Investment Bank to reassess the financial outlook for Transurban, as well as real estate investment trusts. This is based on analysis that white-collar workers, including both full-time and part-time, will only spend an average of 3.6 days a week in the office in the future, compared with 4.2 days a week previously. Now, Australian Securities and Investments Commission Deputy Chair Karen Chester said the regulator had released an information sheet to ensure that people were aware of their legal obligations because we're watching. She released this for an AOCD conference, which coincided with draft rules from the London-based International Sustainability Standards Board, which was established at the United Nations COP26 conference in Glasgow to develop a comprehensive global baseline for sustainability disclosures. A group of the nation's top professional industry and investment bodies with US $33 trillion in assets under management, back the exposure drafts. The group, which includes the Australian Banking Association, the Australian Council of Superannuation Investors, Charter Accountants and CPA Australia, said the clear, transparent, comprehensive and comparable disclosure of sustainability-related information was part of a functioning global financial system. To avoid large-scale financial risks from a disorderly transition to net zero emissions and the physical impacts of climate change, there must be clear and comparable disclosure of sustainability-related and, in particular, climate-related information, the group said. And house prices in Australia are dropping at their fastest pace since the global financial crisis, and market conditions are likely to worsen as interest rates continue to rise, according to property analytics firm CoreLogic. The latest data shows that the nation's median property value has dropped by 2% since the beginning of May to $747,182, a figure which includes houses and apartments. The median price in Sydney fell by 2.2% in July, taking its quarterly loss to 4.7%. Despite that, an average house in Sydney still costs around $1.35 million, while an average unit may fetch about 806000 Melbourne and Hobart also recorded steep falls, with prices in both cities down 1.5% last month, and Canberra prices dropped 1.1%. Prices in Brisbane and regional Australia fell 0.8%, their first monthly decline since August 2020. Over three months to June, dwelling prices in Sydney dropped by 4.7%, Melbourne by 3.2%, Hobart by 1.3% and Canberra by 0.9%. At the other end of the spectrum, Darwin, Adelaide and Perth were the only capitals where prices actually went up in July by between 0.2 and 0.4%. However, it has been a sharp slowdown since May when the Reserve Bank began to aggressively lift the cash rate from its record low levels. And housing prices in Australia predicted to drop significantly over the next 18 months, with some areas expected to fall by as much as 15%. Details of the plunging property forecast were explained in the PropTrack Property Market Outlook July 2022 report. Brisbane, Canberra, Hobart and Darwin are expected to experience a drop in house prices, but Sydney and Melbourne are predicted to face the largest falls. 
PropTrack Director of Economic Research Cameron Cusher believes rising interest rates are discouraging buyers from entering the property market. And the Australian Competition Consumer Commission has accused big gas companies of exploiting joint marketing arrangements to delay the development of gas and push-up prices. The ACCC said some gas companies were gaming the current system to withhold supply and raise prices. The gas industry said joint marketing, especially some big consortiums, helped share the cost of exploration and production. The ACCC said the arrangement could lead to anti-competitive behaviour, raising concerns under a number of provisions in Part 4 of the Competition Consumer Act. The consortiums include joint ventures between APLNG, incorporated joint venture between Conoco Phillips 47.5%, Origin Energy 27.5%, and Cinepec 25%, QCLNG, joint venture between Shell 73.75%, KNOOC 25%, and Tokyo Gas 1.25%, GLNG, a joint venture between Santos 30%, and Petronas 27.5%, Total 27.5%, and Cogas 15%, and Arrow, an incorporated joint venture between Shell 50% and PetroChina 50%. And the Albanese government will seize upon an Australian Competition Consumer Report warning of a looming economy-damaging shortfall of gas to force the nation's biggest exporters to divert supplies into the domestic market. In a scathing report that effectively accuses big gas producers of paying lip service to a gentleman's agreement with the government to ensure sufficient domestic supply, the Australian Competition Consumer Commission warns against allowing exporters to sell all of their uncontracted gas overseas in 2023. The ACCC predicts the East Coast gas market will suffer a shortfall of 56 petajoules, equivalent to about 10% of next year's forecast demand for 571 petajoules, which is expected to absorb 29% of next year's total production. The ACCC cautioned that fast-rising gas prices could increase even further and force some manufacturers out of business. As demand for gas surges across the national energy market because of faltering coal power and insufficient dispatchal renewable energy, Treasurer Jim Chalmers put gas producers on notice that the government is taking the ACCC's concerns seriously, including its criticism about a lack of market competition. The ACCC's warning of a sizeable shortfall in domestic gas supply next year has provided the perfect camouflage for the government to trigger off the Australian domestic gas security mechanism. This allows the government to force gas producers to redirect supply to the domestic market. That ammunition has been around for several years. The ACCC just gave the government the excuse to load it. Within hours of the ACCC releasing its report, Resources Minister Madeline King said she was preparing to issue a notice of intent to make a determination to invoke the Australian domestic gas security mechanism. It is a move that only a few months ago the government seemed reluctant to make. This was in large part because the LNG industry argued that forcing it to allocate gas to domestic customers would involve breaking contracts with international customers and that this threatened Australia's business reputation and increased our sovereign risk among trading partners. The ACCC report has allowed the government to increase its leverage against the LNG producers, sufficient to ensure they could be herded through the gate to increase domestic supply. The ACCC report warns us of a significant domestic gas shortfall next year unless the LNG producers redirect some of the uncontracted gas to the local market. Now, Australia's most well-known buy-now-pay-later firm, Afterpay, has warned of an increase in scams across the financial services industries, with customers being targeted by unsolicited phishing texts and emails. Afterpay sent an email to customers on Monday morning saying it was aware of a recent increase in fraudulent phishing texts and email activity across the financial services industry. It advised customers never to share their password or verification code with anyone and be cautious when opening links in texts or emails, even if they appear to come from Afterpay.
It also told consumers to look out for grammatical errors and typos in text messages and emails. Phishing is a type of scam where fraudsters send messages pretending to be from trusted sources in order to collect personal information. And severe labour shortages are plaguing Australia's technology industry, with the Technology Council of Australia calling for a new awareness campaign, a virtual work experience program for high school students, and a shake-up of skilled migration rules to achieve the target of filling 1.2 million tech jobs by 2030. A new report to be launched by Afterpay co-founder Anthony Eisen and Industry Science Minister Ed Husick at Parliament House on Tuesday reveals significant shortages are being felt across the local sector, particularly for technical and experienced tech roles, with vacancy rates in tech 60% higher than the national average and forecast to grow at triple the rate. The most acute shortages are in technical occupations like software programmers and computer network professionals, but there are also significant gaps in commercial and creative roles like product managers, the report found, with forecasts showing Australia will need to employ an additional 653,000 tech workers to meet its goal of 1.2 million tech jobs by the end of the decade. The Labor Party pledged before winning the last federal election that it would target 1.2 million tech jobs by 2030. And lawyers, engineers and IT experts would be parachuted into classrooms to address crippled staff shortages under radical reforms that include pay rises of up to 40% for the very best teachers. The federal government's Australian Institute for Teaching and School Leadership has laid out a blueprint for fixing the teacher shortage by recruiting university-educated workers to earn while they learn on the job to teach school students. The plan includes a 6-12-month paid internship for career changes to earn cash while upgrading their credentials with a two-year master's degree in education. The reform recommendations from AITSL, the nation's official agency for education quality, will be the focus of an emergency workforce summit with Federal Education Minister Jason Clare and his state and territory counterparts next week. AITSL also wants to improve the quality of university training for teachers. And more than half a million streaming subscriptions were cancelled in Australia in the second quarter of this year, with 37% citing the need to save money as the cost of living started to bite. A similar proportion specifically scrapped Netflix. Subscription streamers are starting to consciously move their money around between services, picking and choosing based on contact at a given time, suggests figures from data analytics firm Kantar. In Australia, 6.3 million households subscribed to at least one video streaming service between April and June 2022, while total market penetration remained stable compared to the first quarter at 63.6% of households. Those with under 25-year-olds in the household saw a steep decline in penetration of 4%, or 62,000 households, as the cost of living rose and streaming services raised their prices. While Netflix remains a king of the subscription streaming pile, Kantar data suggests its share has fallen among households, with at least one subscription service from 80% in the first quarter to 78.8% in the second. Data shows 666,000 subscriptions were cancelled, with a further 16% planning to cancel the service. In the second quarter, just under 4% of households signed up to a new video streaming service, with Amazon Prime Video and Disney Plus leading the charge. And it's a profit reporting season. Aussie Broadband said total broadband services increased by 35,882, or 7%, to 584,793 over the fourth quarter of FY22. This represents a year-on increase of 46%. United Multi Group expects underlying EBITDA before software-as-a-service costs for FY22 to be in the range of around $100 million to $108 million. HSBC's Holdings PLC reported a 15% drop in first-half profit as expected credit losses more than offset the effect of rising net interest income at Europe's biggest bank. Debt Collector Credit Corps has lifted its net profit 9% to $96.2 million for FY2022. 
Artificial intelligence data services company Appen reported an underlying net loss after tax of $3.8 million, compared to a $12.5 million net profit after tax in the first half of FY21. Rex Airlines pre-audited passenger revenue reached $13.6 million in July, nearly twice the monthly average in the prior three months of $6.9 million. Retail landlord BWP Trust reported a 0.6% increase in net profit for the full year of $114.7 million. Pinnacle Investments reported a 14% increase in full year net profit to $76.4 million. And that's it for this week. And next week I'll be talking to Chris Adams, the CEO and founder of the Ellis Adams Group and his international luxury hospitality consulting firm, EAG, which is currently opening 100 hotels during the third quarter and fourth quarter of this year, partnering with Marriott International to transform locations for the Ritz-Carlton, St Regis, Western and Renaissance, among others, all over the world. And I'll be talking to KPMG economist Sarah Hunter about Australia's inflation rate. In the meantime, you catch me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube. And if you want, leave a comment. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week and looking forward to bringing you Talking Business next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.